And please open your Bible to James chapter 4. In your bulletin insert, you'll find uh, the two verses we're going to examine today, 11 and 12, and a short outline. Considering who are you to judge? I struggle with that title a little bit because there's so many ways in which this passage has really brought conviction to me and brought uh, me to self-examination. I think that's important that we don't just come to Scripture analyzing it and being the judge over it, but this verse, this, these verses themselves are going to teach us that we should come up under the Word of God and to hear from it. We're picking up again where James has laid out a battle plan of sorts in how to fight pride in our lives. Uh, the plan is rooted in God's saving and enabling grace. If you remember in verses, uh, the, the verses just prior that He gives more grace. Therefore, it says that God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That's where God is at work to bring us low so that He can exalt us in due season. And He gives more grace. So what are we to do? We are to submit to God, to resist the devil, to draw near to Him, and He'll draw near to you. There's no middle ground. You've got to choose one side of the other. You're going to either submit to God or you're going to have to come in line with the devil. We're to resist the devil and to draw near to God. And I, I probably should have expanded three sermons worth of material on what it's like and what it means for us as we draw near to God to know that God draws near to us. What a profound and amazing reality that really fuels what He's calling us to do in this, this tough examination. But as we draw near to Him and He draws near to us, what are we to do? Repent and turn away. We repent with heart and hand, thoughts, words, and deeds. James has said, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, be wretched, and mourn and weep. When we repent, we then turn. We turn humbly towards Jesus. We follow Him and His leadership. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Today, we're going to tackle the pride that shows in our attitudes and words, specifically that manifest in judgmentalism. Judgmentalism, hypercriticalism, all sorts of ways in which we will take our pride and put it through our mouth to go after others. Follow along, please, as I read James 4, 11, and 12. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Father, we are convicted already in seeing how Your Word speaks right to our experience, right to our hearts. Oh, Lord, it's such a common way for us to express the pride that is in our hearts when we put down others and we judge others. Lord, often we don't let those words get all the way to our lips, but those thoughts are certainly in our hearts. Lord, would You give us 
an understanding, a softness to our hearts to understand when those temptations arise and for us to tackle them soon before they grow and get out of control. Oh, Lord, give us humble hearts, for we confess that we would not be able to change one bit except that Your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and mouths to speak the way that You have intended us to. Lord, we do this and ask this for Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as preparing for this sermon, I came across a book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. Chapter 17 just really hits to heart with the respectable sin of judgmentalism. He tells a story of a person, a friend, raised in an upper-middle-class Christian home where the father was hypercritical, especially of his middle child, a daughter. She gradually developed into a person who couldn't do anything right. At least one would think as much to hear her dad berate her. The more he criticized her posture, the more she slumped. The more that he pointed out her lack of eye contact, the more her eyes became fixed and downgazed. If his repeatedly putting her down for her own good had one result, it was a type of self-fulfilling prophecy. She felt her father's pattern of criticism as rejection, and she came to see herself as rejected. As an adult, her number one priority became to seek out those who would provide her with acceptance. And her friends soon learned how to take advantage of her need to be accepted. On his deathbed, the father realized his sinfulness and, and tearfully repented of his critical spirit towards his daughter. But it was too late. By then, she had secretly become promiscuous and a crack cocaine addict. Wow, that just sounds so severe. That sounds like this thing got out of control. Who was there talking to this dad about his judgmentalism? Who was there to call out the dad for his hypercritical demeaning of his daughter? Who was there to point out, this is not right. You're destroying your daughter. Stop it. That kind of judgmentalism is easily justified at the beginning. We can justify it to ourselves saying, it's true. They really need to hear this. This is important. This is the way I see it, and it's the way that they should see it. And we tend to make then this mountain out of molehills, our own personal scruples into what everyone must abide by. And we don't see the damaging effect that we have on other people. Judgmentalism left unchecked will suddenly grow and grow until it's out of control and it becomes a critical spirit. Sometimes that shows in our family dynamics with our kids, sometimes towards our parents, towards our grown children. Sometimes it's in our workplace. Sometimes it's in the church. Sometimes it's in our neighborhoods and conversations across the fence. So many times it's on social media and out in the anonymous world of being able to speak your mind about every subject and to be as opinionated and as zealous in your opinion as you choose without the repercussions. Judgmentalism gets out of control, but here 
we need to hear James's warning and do battle with the source, the root of this judgmentalism, our pride. We've got to kill the pride that's there. So we must consciously fight pride and put on humility in how we think and then how we speak of others. It starts with the heart in what we think about other people, and it flows out in the words we use, the words we say, the words we type and write. Why do we judge others? Verse 11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. This command, this warning is in the context of a family meeting. This is James who prior to chapter 4 has also said, my brothers, called out to brothers. He's talking about fellow believers. He's talking about the family of God. We who have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus and adopted by this father into a new family. How are we to act in this family? Brothers, this is how we ought not to speak. And James is really just having a heart-to-heart with us. Is this really how we want our family to be, where everyone feels judged and put out and not accepted? Is this how God would have us to be in His family? You know, James is rooted a lot in the Old Testament and in the teaching of his brother Jesus. From the Old Old Testament, Leviticus 19, verse 16, it says, You shall not go around as a slanderer. That's, That's speaking evil. Don't speak evil or speak against or speak evil, as he repeats three times in verse 11. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Oh, it's, it's so easy in this family to incur sin because of the way that we use our tongue, because it's the overflow of the pride that's in our heart, and we do damage by judging our brother. It's not how our family should be. In verse 18 of Leviticus 19, he says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What kind of family do we want to have at Redeemer? What kind of family do we want to have as Presbyterians in our denomination or in our presbytery? What kind of relationships do we want to have, and and what's going to be the tone of our conversations? Are we going to be constantly fault-finding, nitpicking, and talking against one another, or are we going to be encouraging and building up? And when we do need to speak the truth in a hard way, that we're doing so with love in our hearts and care to restore or to correct or to encourage. We're not to speak against our brother, because in doing so, we're judging our brother. When we speak evil against our brother, it says at the end of verse 11, we speak evil against the law and we judge the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. What law is James specifically referring to? The, the whole of the Ten Commandments and the, all the law? I think it's particularly the law that he mentions in verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He calls that the royal law. It's like the, the king, the chief of laws. And when you put that in focus, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself, if that's the law you're a doer of rather than you standing in judgment over it, then you're not slandering and speaking evil against your brother. You're loving them as your neighbor. Self-righteous pride, thinking we stand above the law, it blinds us to our hypocrisy. And then we find fault in others when we're guilty ourselves. Isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew 7 in His warning that don't be picking around for the speck in your brother's eye when you got a log sticking in your own eye. You're a hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you can deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Speaking evil before we ever look at ourselves. Judging others before we ever judge ourselves. And why should we steer clear of this? Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You're not the judge. You can't be the judge. There is one judge. The, the, the position is not open for your application. Denied. God is the judge. He's the omnipotent judge. He's the all-powerful judge. Maybe James has in mind Deuteronomy 32 where it says, See now that even I, I am He, and there's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. This is the God who is the judge. Or maybe he have in mind what Abraham said in Genesis 18 when he says, Shall not the judge of the earth do right? God is judge of the earth, and He does what is right. Or maybe James was also thinking about what his brother Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. There is a judge, and that judge is not you. It is God, and He is a powerful judge. He's the final judge. He gives the verdict. Now, how ridiculous would it be if you stormed into the courtroom of the Supreme Court of the U.S., and they are hearing a case, the, judge, uh, the uh, lawyers are speaking, and you're in the gallery, and you're hearing all this, and each of the justices are asking questions, and they're going about this formal trial process, and you march in, and you get up on the top at the bench and behind there and say, you guys can go home. Let me tell you the way this is. This is the answer. This is what you need to do. Ridiculous, right? You'd get hauled off. You'd probably get charged. You'd probably spend time in jail. How much more ridiculous is it for you to be the judge when the judge of all the earth already rules? To supplant him, to usurp him, to go over his hedge is to be a judge of the law, is to put yourself as a judge over your brother. God's the judge. He'll judge them. That's not your place. Humility comes by understanding who is the real, the legitimate judge, the perfect lawgiver. He is the powerful one who alone pronounces legitimate verdicts. And when we're honest, when we're self-aware and not just, you know, spouting our opinions, that humility should lead us first to judge ourselves before we ever get near anyone else. So, is there a time when judging is right? 
I think there is. There, there is a time for us to judge and to speak to someone who, if they're teaching falsehood or if they're in sin. And later in, in James, in James chapter 5, we're going to read in verse 19, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That, that's good news. When your heart is, I want, to, I want to rescue this guy from his error, from his false teaching, from his sinful way. When you go, as in Paul says in Galatians 6, with a spirit of humility, keeping watch on yourself to restore someone, then that attitude of not being Lord over, but a brother seeing a fellow brother in need coming to them to rescue, no, those are commended by God's Word. Judging someone to evaluate their spiritual maturity or their doctrinal views for ministry or shepherding purposes. We do this when we examine candidates for becoming an elder or for becoming a deacon, for becoming a pastor. We, we do make judgments based on their examination. And this is called for in, first, in Titus chapter 1, in First Timothy chapter 3. This is a legitimate and called for judgment. It's not judging someone to be discerning with regard to their character, their teaching, or to come to them to confront about sin. We're given the right way to go about that, not as speaking evil against somebody or judging them in our hearts, but when your brother sins against you, Jesus says in Matthew 18, go and tell him his fault between the two of you. And if he hears you, you win your brother. You see, that's not in a judgmental, gossipy, slanderous way, speaking evil about somebody. You're speaking to them. We should never speak about somebody until we've spoken to them. And that's Jesus' pattern in, J in Matthew chapter 18. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you that every charge be, be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is sounding more formal. This is sounding like a courtroom. Yeah, but it's establishing who is the ultimate judge and what judges God has placed in authority, in human government, in church government. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Uh, that's what Paul had to admonish the Corinthian church to exercise this discipline, to make a judgment concerning this brother who there's sexual immorality among you and the kind that's not tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his brother's wife, a man with his stepmother, and you ought to speak to this man, discipline him. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world, but I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not to even eat with such one. And here's where the judge comes. For what have I do to do with judging outsiders? It's not those. Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil persons from among you. 
So in the context of church government, church discipline, dealing with scandalous public sin, that's the role that God has called us to judge. Uh, judging with right measures and right rules, have just balances. Jesus says, don't judge by appearances, but with right judgment. Look, you, you should check the receipt and make sure that what you paid for is actually what you got. That's not being judgmental. If someone tries to sell you a home and you get a home inspection, that's not being judgy. That's, that's doing due diligence, and you're measuring and accurately looking at what they said about the house and what is true about the house. It's being critical, but it's not in a, in a judgmental way. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus warns us about false prophets. Peter warns us about false teachers. If in your neighborhood someone's peddling a false gospel, if a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness is saying, this is who the Jesus of the Bible is, you say, no, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And that's not being judged. If you run them down in their character and character defamation and you, you make fun of them or whatever, then that's, that's wrong. Don't do that. But simply speaking the truth and, and judging between truth and error, that's not where the problem lies. Where we get into a problem is when we judge brothers and we do so in a way that pulls them down. Um, what kind of judging does God forbid? Most commentators, uh, someone said, believe that jealousy or selfish ambition, as we read earlier in the chapter, or in, the, in chapter 3, was causing many in James's audience to deny the salvation of another person based on matters not essential to the gospel. False judgments based on a false criteria produced rampant slander in the community. They're not really a Christian. They're not really one of us. They're not saved because of this view, this opinion. They were speaking evil against another brother. This was not constructive criticism, but it was destructive, destructive criticism. It was slander. When we speak lies about someone, do so behind their back or to their face, doesn't matter. Defamation, gossip. Gossip is could be true things, but it's things that you shouldn't bring to that person because it's not for them, and it tears down and speaks bad about your brother, backbiting, whispering. The Bible has many different ways of describing this speaking evil and how we tear down and what God forbids, and it's well summarized in our Westminster Larger Catechism. In questions 144 and 145, it's dealing with the Ten Commandments, the, the Ninth Commandment in, spe in specifics, and it's that we shouldn't bear false witness. And how should we practice that command? Well, what are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? In part, it says, preserving and promoting truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor. Are you concerned about the good name of your neighbor? Or I heard something, let me, I got to share it with you. Let me tell you about. Or I heard on the internet that this, when we don't preserve the good name of our brother, or our neighbor, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering over their infirmities, 
freely acknowledging their gifts and graces, defending their innocence, a ready receiving of a good report, and an unwillingness to admit an evil report concerning them. Oh, a tasty morsel of gossip, unconfirmed, unsubstantiated, little bit of, wow, did you hear about that leader? Did you hear about that person? It happens on social media all the time. It happens on the, in the Internet, and these things get perpetuated and, and dragged out and spread like wildfire. Question 145 says, what are the sins that are forbidden in the ninth commandment? When we are speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously to a wrong end or perverting to a wrong meaning, meaning, or in a doubtful or equivocal expressions to the prejudice of truth and justice, lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting, tailbearing, whispering, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censuring. Now, if you don't know what any of those words are, look them up. These are from God's Word telling us, watch what you say. The words that you use are powerful and can destroy someone's character. Have you seen somebody's character assassinated? Have you seen them just tore to pieces on the barest shred of evidence that gets repeated and repeated? It ought not to be that way. And James, God Himself, is warning us about that kind of judgments. Lupriolo helps us in this area. He gives three types of rash judgments. He says, don't judge those things that God has hidden from you, things of, of which you don't have sufficient knowledge to make a sound judgment. Judges ba based on suspicion or hunches. You don't have the whole story. Judging based on hearsay or unsubstantiated testimony. Proverbs 18 warns, if a man answers a matter before he hears it, it's folly, it's foolishness. And the first one to plead their case sounds right until another comes and examines him. And oh, there's the rest of the story. James 1, 19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Don't make hasty judgments. In 1 Samuel 1, we saw that Eli the priest saw something going on. He had a hunch. He had a suspicion about Hannah. Hannah is in the temple area moving her lips but making no sound, and he concluded, well, she's drunk. Oh, only after harshly confronting her did he learn that she was communing with the Lord in prayer. Be careful about those rash judgments about things you don't have the whole story about. You know, sometimes we hear that uh, as a caution. When you're driving down the road and somebody does a bonehead thing and you get all mad at them, but then you're cautioned to think, well, you don't know what kind of day at work they had. You don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know the trials and tribulations they're facing. Give a charitable judgment. Don't lay on your horn every time. Unless they're about to hit you, then you should. Don't judge the thoughts and the motives of another person. Examine 1 Corinthians 4 about this. I won't go into detail about it, but we're told that there are those things that are don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord brings to light those things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. I can't know what's in your heart because it's hidden in darkness, God's Word says. And so, for me to 
assume or to guess at what's in your heart with any authority at all is judgmentalism. It is wrong for me to do that. So, when the time where Goliath was taunting the Israelites and they're there at the battlefield, Jesse sent David to go and check in on his brothers. And when, Jesse, when David is going around asking about his brothers, trying to find out, he was bringing food for them and his commanders. And it gets to this point where David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard that David was speaking to these other men, looking for them. And, Eli- and Eliab, his anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You ain't doing your job. You ought to get back with the sheep. Who sent you here? Well, Dad did. He didn't get a chance to even answer because Eliab has already got it all figured out. In fact, he's got it figured out. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've come down to see the battle. I know the presumption and the evil of your heart. No, you don't, Eliab. And in fact, this guy is going to rescue you and all the nation from the real enemy here. Who are you to judge David, your brother. It's easy. It's subtle. We go at it all the time. Finally, don't judge those things to be sin that are not explicitly or implicitly identified as sin according to the Bible. Don't add your set of rules that you judge other people by that don't come from the Word of God. So, we can fall into demanding Others measure up to standards and scruples that we have set for ourselves. They might be good things, but when we make them the Word of God ultimate things, then that's wrong. And we tend to judge people based on those types of things rather than really what God has revealed. We sometimes will pray in our prayer of confession, forgive the harsh judgments I've made of others and the leniency I have shown myself. We've got to consciously fight pride. We need to put on humility in how we think and speak about others. Consider the judge of the earth, the judge of all things. God sent Jesus, the only one to live a perfect life, to come under judgment. And the verdict that the Father gave was the punishment that all of our sins deserved. And He willingly took the judgment that we deserved on Himself so that we can receive the blessing of His perfect obedience, the merit of Christ. This is the attitude that Jesus had, that He was willing to take the curse for us. Who are we to give out curses to others? Who are we to show no mercy to others when we've seen such mercy? and so such love from the judge who legitimately should send us to hell. I mentioned the respectable sins by Jerry Bridges, and I want to leave you with a few thoughts from him. He says, it's, it's obvious that when our, within our conservative evangelical circles, there are myriads of opinions on everything from theology to conduct to lifestyle to politics. Not only are there multiple opinions, but we usually assume our opinion is correct. That's where the trouble with judgmentalism begins. We equate our opinions with the truth. And it's just not just just a problem in conservative evangelical Christianity. It's even a greater problem, I think, 
in Reformed and Presbyterian theology where we really are committed to getting the doctrine right. He, he said this, I grew up in the 20th century. I did too, but not as early as he did. And he says, when people dressed up to go to church, men wore jackets and ties, usually suits and ties. Women wore dresses. Somewhere in the 1970s, men began to show up at church wearing casual pants and open-collar shirts. Many women began to wear pants. For several years, I was judgmental towards them. Didn't they have any reverence for God? I also grew up in the area of the grand old hymns sung to the accompaniment of piano and organ. It was majestic. To me, it was reverent worship of God. Today, in many churches, the grand old hymns have been replaced by contemporary music and the piano and organ with guitars and drums. And again, I was judgmental. How could people worship God with those instruments? But the New Testament churches had neither pianos nor organs, yet they managed to worship God in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I still have a preference for church music sung as we did when I was younger, but it's just that. It's a preference, not a Bible-based conviction. It's true that a lot of contemporary music is shallow and human-centered, but there is much that is God-honoring and worshipful as our traditional hymns. He talks about abstinence from alcohol. He goes on to talk about doctrinal judgmentalism. Now, some of you are judging me for the music thing in the close just a second ago, but doctrinal judgmentalism, for example, the doctrine of Christ's substitutionary atonement for our sins, the complementary doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone are to me crucial doctrines. They're the kind of doctrines where I, so to speak, draw a line in the sand and say no compromise, none whatsoever, period. And that's good. We should stand for those truths that are essential but I confess that I have at, at times slipped into the sin of just judgmentalism. I disagree so strongly with what they're teaching that I've sometimes demonized them. I don't think I'm alone in this. I've observed it happening among others within our evangelical community. Because we do believe so strongly in the importance of sound doctrine, we can easily become hypercritical of those whom, with whom we disagree. We should express our disagreements but we should do so in a way that does not degenerate into character assassination. The warning for us is to consciously fight pride. It's always a battle we will fight. We need to put on humility in its place by God's grace in how we think and speak of others. I want to close in prayer using a prayer that uh, the author of The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy, wrote. Let's pray. Lord, help me to judge others as I want them to judge me, charitably, not critically, privately, not publicly, gently, not harshly, in humility, not pride. Help me to believe the best about others until facts prove otherwise, to assume nothing, to seek all sides of the story, and to judge no one until I've removed the log from my own eye. May I never bring only the law to find fault and condemn. Help me always to bring the gospel to give hope and deliverance, as you, my judge and friend, have so graciously done for me. Amen.